This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 2nd, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. How do we distinguish between the tactics of Cambridge Analytica and the Trump campaign and the actions of similar data gathering of previous campaigns? And what might be the result of new congressional attention paid to our interactions on social media? Cato's Walter Olson and Julian Sanchez comment. How much worse is what uh, Cambridge Analytica is accused of and by all rates appears to have done uh, with respect to making use of uh, data that they scraped from Facebook than, say, the Clinton campaign or the Obama campaign. And I can recall very clearly people pointing out it's brilliant the way they're using, quote unquote, big data to micro-target voters. Right. Well, so the the technical policy that was exploited to scrape uh, data from friends of users who had installed a, an app is something that Facebook shut off in uh, late 2014. Uh, so it's not something the Clinton campaign would have been able to actively do uh, at the time. Uh, it certainly is something the Obama campaign did. Uh, and uh, again, were, as, as you noted, uh, sort of praised for their cleverness. Uh, their uh, digital uh, gurus have said, yeah, we sort of scraped everything we could. Uh, I, I do think there are significant differences. Um, the Obama campaign scraped data from an Obama application. So at least in that case, people understood that they were installing something and uh, sharing data with it uh, for the purpose of helping a political campaign. Um, this is a case where the data Cambridge Analytica got was from a personality quiz app that was pitched as being something that was going to collect data purely for academic research. Uh, and then uh, it sounds like in violation of, of Facebook's own terms, um, that data was then turned over to Cambridge, which appears to have claimed to have deleted it when Facebook complained uh, and then perhaps not actually done that. Uh, so those are, I think, significant differences. Um, but in terms of the underlying question of is your data uh, being given without your consent to someone who's doing it for a uh, uh, using it for a political campaign, uh, I think that that was a parallel in both cases because of Facebook's decision to allow people who install third-party applications to share not just their own data, but almost everything uh, that they're able to see of their friends' data. Uh, the theory being, well, if you've shared this information with your friends, you're ceding to them the ability to then share it again to third parties. Um, I think you know someone might rightly be uh, irritated in either case that the platform was designed in such a way that um, you could automatically and at very large scale um, have so much information to reshared from your friends. You might say, well, I, you know, I, I meant for my friends to be able to see this. I didn't intend to consent for that to be then further shared by them for some uh, political use that I might not uh, approve of. And so I think it was absolutely the correct decision on Facebook's part to, to stop uh, permitting that uh, that kind of easy sharing, uh, uh, and probably something that they, they shouldn't have uh, ever allowed from the outset. Uh, but uh, you know, the main differences there are not in scraping. Uh, the Obama campaign certainly did a lot of scraping, uh, but more in sort of how transparent uh, that process was. And what uh, Cambridge Analytica was prom- promising to do and not do with that information. That's right. I mean, so they, they appear to have gotten it, uh, again, from, from a researcher who – you know, did, was not was making representations that this was data that was being gathered purely for academic research, not for for campaign purposes. I suppose there's also a difference in terms of 
Analytica's marketing pitch, I mean, I think one reason people are concerned about this is that uh, Analytica uh, makes a lot of very dramatic promises about what they can do with psychometric profiling, and they'll develop these intricate profiles of people's personalities that give them this sort of Svengali-like ability to manipulate people in these very subtle ways, and they, you know, they show you the color blue and a queen of diamonds, and you, you know, kind of act out their program unthinkingly, Uh, and that's I think probably more marketing hype than reality, um, but the tenor of that is we will use this information to manipulate people in these subtle ways. That is arguably what you know the, the art of political campaigning is about. Um, but it, it does have a more sinister sound to it than well, we're going to you know link up veterans so that when we're doing phone banking, people who are uh, uh, you know Obama supporters who are veterans will will phone up. Uh, families that that have a uh, background in the military. And Julian made a point that I think is very important, which is that the transition from uh, <coughs> infrequent or hard to use to um, extremely efficient and, and large-scale uh, use of a particular type of public disclosure makes for a big perceived qualitative difference even when the information has been available there all along. And you see this in various flops over the years. Uh, the, uh, I believe it was an Obama app which uh, revealed all the Democrats in your neighborhood uh, or the Prop 8 donor maps which – and this, of course, the information on who would donate something like Prop 8 would have been there uh, uh, for many years if not all along. But all of a sudden you could see a map of who lived in your neighborhood, uh, the gun owner map. Again, it's not as if it were not possible possible to go into public records and see who had gotten the licenses, but uh, suddenly it became uh, uh, instantly available for different and perhaps more mischievous purposes. So, uh, Walter Olson, this Facebook is ending up being a bit of a uh, punching bag uh, with respect to this, but isn't this just how massive companies that are in the, the tech space and the internet space, isn't this just how they do business? Well, Trevor Bur- uh, Butterworth um, at Vox made an interesting observation, which is uh, simply unhooking from Facebook. If, if you're so offended at Facebook that you would unhook from it, uh, doesn't really alter the fact that other companies than Facebook can um, put together data files on you and probably already have put together data files on you uh, in many cases that are approximately as revealing. Uh, Facebook is well known to have ghost files for people who have not joined Facebook, but they know so much about them because of all the other data that they've bought. So what Facebook is doing is generic of what various actors are doing and have been doing for some time. Now, Facebook is special uh, in how intimate we behave, intimately we behave around it. Uh, uh, fear that your private messages are being read uh, is something different. I'm not saying that they do that, but, but it is something di- different from what even your um, telephone or cable or, or, or many other providers uh, could could be doing. Now, uh, to you, Julian Sanchez, a lot a lot has been made of the fact that money to the Trump campaign was provided by people who were connected with Cambridge uh, Analytica. And is there anything to that? Does that matter? Are you talking about the the uh, uh, the question of uh, sort of foreign election uh, interference laws? 
Uh, Every day or two, there's a new connect the dots story saying, aha, you know, a board member with this uh, techie was was connected. And what I love about these connect the dots games is that politically both sides play them. I've seen over the the same social media uh, companies, I've seen, uh, you know, (coughs) uh, triumphant accusatory pieces from the left wing press saying, aha, we connected the dots. You know, the Peter Thiel is connected with uh, this campaign and this donation. Uh, And same organization. Organizations, uh, triumphant right-wing coverage uh, of a different set of board members <laughs> and, and donations. So you can prove, if you want, although it po- seems pointless to me, uh, that these organizations have a lot of links to the other guy, whoever you perceive the other guy to be. Now, uh, Walter, I've talked about this with uh, Fleming Rose and the the specter of a federal regulation of the manner in which Facebook does what it does to make money, uh, it's there. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is going to testify. Other people from Facebook have testified uh, before Congress at at various points. But, you know, it really seems to go to the core of, you know, this is how speech works. It's it's problematic. It's messy. It's ugly. And um, I, I... what do you th- what do you think of what do you make of the general threat of uh, regulation in this space? Well, as far as the First Amendment and free speech angle, eventually the courts will review that, and some of the players, like the Federal Communications Commission, to the extent that they're involved, uh, might also. Uh, put in some good First Amendment arguments. I will say, however, that most of the practical policymakers, whether you look at members of Congress or the different uh, interests and agitation groups, uh, they don't seem to find the First Amendment directly involved in the various plans that they have to regulate data and its transfer, uh, to regulate uh, these uh, social media uh, institutions as as public utilities, quote-unquote, is a phrase often used, or in the antitrust plans that they have to um, again, it depends. The, the exact details of these things depend on whether you're looking at uh, the, the uh, left or the right or the pro-antitrust people. Each of them has a somewhat different agenda. But uh, starting with the conservatives, you know, there is clearly an agenda there of uh, we're not going to let Facebook throw people off uh, because of our political views. We're going to have some sort of common carrier regulation in which uh, we get to stay on Facebook or, or Twitter. Now, that has a lot of implications. Uh, uh, the uh, it, with other groups, it's more concerned about foreign money coming in, or more uh, uh, fake news, or undisclosed uh, in influence. Uh, the, it doesn't take enacting too many laws about too many of these different things before you you face a fundamentally different uh, profile of social media. They begin to uh, look like different companies if they get regulated along three, four, or five of these dimensions. I am shocked, shocked. Uh, Julian, that you would suggest that marketers engage in hype. And um, (laughs) but how effective is uh, this so far, as far as we can tell, how effective are these pitches that are made online in terms of influencing people to one candidate or another? I mean, it's it's very hard to say that in part because this is a a country with a secret ballot. So uh, and, and beyond that, it's hard to know the counterfactual. Um, I mean, you can you can 
make a statistical model of how many votes you expected to win and then see if uh, uh, the, the result is higher than that after a social media campaign. But actually uh, ascribing causality, certainly at the individual level, uh, you know, is this what caused this person to vote for one candidate over another? Um, is pretty hard. Uh, so I think, you know, unsurprisingly, the claims about how uh, how minutely people can be manipulated tend to, uh, to be rather grandiose in, in a way that I don't think there's uh, a ton of basis for. I remember there was uh, a few years ago uh, a, a much uh, trumpeted uh, instance where Facebook had sort of experimented in uh, uh, curating the kind of stories people were seeing in their Facebook feeds uh, in an attempt to try and manipulate their mood or their emotional response. And the kind of big headline result was they found that they could actually, uh, it seemed like through these tweaks, uh, create changes where people seemed more upbeat or more downbeat uh, as a result of having been exposed to a bunch of sort of happier or sadder uh, stories. Uh, was less uh, obvious was the observed effect was pretty small. Uh, and it's not clear that it, you know, went much beyond I'm writing something that seems a little sad because I'm reading all these sad things right here in this particular context. It's distinct from are you talking about a change, either psychological or emotional, that translates into a real-world difference in your behavior uh, off that platform? Yeah, this is not the first time that people have discovered that uh, humanity can be emotionally manipulated. The entire genre of movie music, for example, uh, was this kind of discovery. And, of course, it, uh, it's not as if it has never had any political effects because well-done propaganda movies uh, can, in fact, uh, you know, change people's mood and, 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 and spur action. That having been said, the um, uh, as libertarians, I think it's well worth being aware of these things because uh, to me, the issue is not so much whether uh, Facebook wants to uh, in, uh, spray happy gas uh, over its feed so that people will be in a better mood when they see advertising. It's that um, whoever is going to wind up uh, passing laws about Facebook is going to get very interested in this question. And uh, they are um, probably not going to keep their hands off. Now, maybe not in the United States that this strikes first, but we have um, for, foreign examples, because the technology works in a fundamentally similar way in all these different countries, foreign examples are uh, well worth watching. And you have, uh, of course, in Europe, you have the massive regulation of data, but you also have increasingly regulation of social media uh, in Germany and elsewhere with political objectives in order to prevent the spread of, quote, extremism, unquote. And Turkey, again, you don't even have to turn to the semi-authoritarian countries um, uh, when this is increasingly accepted in what we view as the most democratic countries of, of Western Europe. And it's coming here. So privacy regulations tend to come in a couple of flavors. Uh, one is sort of the checkbox flavor, which means you decide there's a bunch more things you need to check off a box to show you really consent to this use of your data. Uh, and the problem with those is that they tend to, to have a kind of antibiotic problem. Uh, like antibiotics, the more used they are, the more uh, resistance develops and the less effective they ultimately become. Um, you know, you may notice some sites now uh, we'll have a little pop-up that says, oh, click here to show that you understand that we use cookies, like every website uses cookies. Um, the more of those notices you throw at people, the more they become like the terms of service on every website that uh, everyone clicks, I agree, and almost nobody actually reads them or understands uh, you know, what, what's contained in them. Uh, and then you can have a kind of hard block 
sort of regulation that says this is just a type of data that you're going to be forbidden from sharing sort of bar none, period. Um, and the problem with that is that tends to foreclose interesting uh, uses of data, not just for marketing purposes, but by academics that are uh, uh, able to use that in innovative ways for, for research and in really exciting and novel ways that weren't really popular before uh, large-scale uh, connectivity over the internet and social media. Um, and they tend to essentially embed uh, the privacy preferences of one particular type of person when people are often you know, pretty diverse in their demand for privacy and their comfort with sharing uh, uh, you know, various kinds of private information about themselves. Uh, and so I think it's a mistake to try and impose uh, one set of preferences like that outside of a very narrow category maybe of data that you know, almost nobody would uh, make a kind of informed decision to share. And you can say, well, we can kind of assume that if if this is, uh, you know, your medical records in detail are being shared, that you um, probably have been kind of tricked in some way. Um, but beyond that, I think it's a bad idea to, to you know, impose that kind of, uh, of uniformity. Uh, the one thing that might be helpful here is uh, some kind of federal data breach rule. Because I do think if you're saying, you know, people should make an informed market choice about uh, – about what kind of privacy protections they're going to demand, they do at least need to understand whether their privacy is being protected. Uh, I think the the one thing other than the initial policy choice to allow that kind of the scraping that was used here, uh, you can fault Facebook for is they were informed about this and seem not to have done much to tell you know, 50 million people, hey, your data was scraped, uh, uh, you know, kind of in violation of our terms. Uh, and they don't seem to have shown much interest beyond being assured by Cambridge that the data had been deleted and ensuring that that was the case. They've uh, altered their policies in a bunch of ways now to try and uh, ensure that people are notified and that uh, and that they, they do follow up uh, when the rules are broken. Uh, but I think it's important for users to know that, that, you know, and that companies can't just say, well, we, we're going to sweep this breach under the rug and, and not tell people uh, their data has been compromised. Uh, um, <coughs> Even with the release of medical data, there can be some pretty good personal reasons for uh, openness for releasing one's genome publicly, for example. Uh, but just to develop the issue of people um, using the switches that are already there, Facebook um, does not make it that obvious, but it also doesn't make it that impossible to get in there and deny permissions of various sorts and, and switch assumptions as to what can be shared with what. Now, that is interesting in a number of different ways. First, it may shed light on uh, how seriously the public takes the various uh, scares and controversies. Uh, are a lot of people going in and changing permissions from uh, yes to no? Uh, and if so, which are the things that bother the most uh, useful information as far as uh, understanding what only uh, an elite or political class cares about and what consumers generally may care about? And if, if after three scandals, people are still not getting in and denying the permissions, maybe uh, they aren't as important uh, to them. There is even a legal implication because the courts, aside from um, a certain amount of ruling out things that no sane person would have allowed uh, in a more detailed contractual negotiation, they also look for background expectations of um, what is the custom, uh, what are people customarily uh, assuming will be done, and if a lot of people are going in trying to deny permission on something, uh, it may shift that background expectation of whether or not it is customarily collected as part of a business transaction. And I think you know one reason this is not uh, an area 
for the most part, very amenable to to fine-grained regulation is that uh, privacy control is in some sense fundamentally a really hard user interface problem. It's a design problem. Um, it's not just a question of, of you know, are, are you doing the correct thing? It's uh, the hard problem of, all right, given that people have this range of diverse preferences about privacy, how do you balance essentially giving people effective control without overwhelming them or just swamping them with uh, uh, confusing checkboxes that they don't understand the implications of? Um, and so I, I think th the way you solve that problem is getting a lot of smart uh, people to do hard design work and experiment and figure out um, what balances those interests of control and intelligibility. Uh, and it's not as though that's a question we already have the answer to uh, and can pass a rule that says, well, now implement it. Yeah. <laughs> to look at Facebook, you would think that the entire American population wanted nothing more than for everyone else to know what their political views were and their candidate preferences. And obviously, that's not true. Obviously, there are people who genuinely wish to uh, maintain some privacy about which candidates they vote for and which they support. But a good system will allow for uh, those who wish to uh, have a megaphone to broadcast the, their preferences to uh, not be silenced, as it were. Although I would say I think I think people's concerns here are not well. I don't want my my political views being known. It's that, you know, the context of Facebook's creates a feeling. I think for for you know people who aren't uh, super huge privacy geeks that this is a space where I am having a conversation with my friends and where I may say, as one says before one's friends, "Gosh, I'm I'm feeling depressed this week," or "I had a really hard time with my with my spouse," and. You know, but it's in the context, of course, of a big corporation gathering that data. And so, you know, it, it bothers people, I think, understandably, that something like that might be scooped up uh, by a firm that's going to say, well, how can I use that marital discourse to try and uh, the divorce nudge, lawyer, nudge this the, person? The anti-depression drug. Right. You mean they don't pop up for you? Right. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to admit uh, 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 on, on the mic what, what kind of ads I get. That's... Uh... Walter Olson and Julian Sanchez are senior fellows at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>